This is the Rad Mars Podcast, Episode 9. I'm Andy Mindler. And I'm Brendan Trombley. I'm Trevor Williams. I'm Andrew Ford. I'm Roushy. Hey there, Roushy. Hi, Mike. <laughs> it's good to see you. We do this you. every time, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> We're only going to greet you. <laughs> okay. Well, until we, I think until we get to a point where there are more episodes that include you than episodes that don't, and then it's just normal. Yeah. We're, we're rapidly approaching that. Or what we should do is greet everyone individually. Hello, <laughs> Brendan. Hello. <laughs> if there's right. anything that I think Thank our you. audience is listening for more, it's a longer introduction. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I feel very seen today. Thank you. <laughs> um, I can get us started today. No. Uh, no? All right. Well, I'm going to just sit here in contemplative silence. <laughs> That's what this is. It's just going to be <laughs> us sitting here thinking deep thoughts. Such deep thoughts. I, uh, I've been, this, this topic is like related to stuff that we have been talking about for a while, especially when we talked about horror back, um, a number of episodes ago. And it's the idea of kind of audience participation in, uh, you know, a piece of media or a piece of art and, and that relationship between audience, art, uh, interpretation and participation with authorial intent. And there's a school of thought out there called the de- that considers the death of the author, an important thing, which is kind of like a weird, morbid way to talk about it have you guys heard of that phrase before yep yeah right so it's the idea that like once an author has made something it no longer belongs to that person anymore and it belongs because they immediately die (laughs) yeah once you've created you're you're basically a praying mantis when you create something like a male praying mantis you know as soon as you've mated you you're dead you die so Mm -hmm. as soon as you create a a seminal work of art uh you're dead so but really dead I've heard that uh, only works with praying mantises like that are held in captivity. So like basically if you set your artist free, you don't necessarily have to die, I think. Oh, okay, okay. Free your artist. But yeah, no. As far as the <laughs> <laughs> as far as the work of art is concerned, the author is now dead. One of the great examples that is kind of relevant these days is J.K. Rowling. Now, there are a lot of reasons to talk about J.K. Rowling, so let's try to keep it, you know to just this one she has been kind of infamous now of now that harry potter has been written seven books you know they were they were finished what like over 10 years ago now and there's still this like potter verse of like information that comes out and of course there's these new movies but the, the weird thing is that she seems to continue to retroactively reveal information that changes how you feel about the art that has already been written she's and, retconning it over twitter yeah like over twitter and and for like really weird reasons, you know, the first one that came out was like, you know, it wasn't really part of the text, but she was like, Dumbledore is gay. And, you know, I was kind of at the time like, well, I guess like it was kind of hinted at, you know, like his relationship with Grindelwald might have been a thing. But the one... I feel like no one would have read that between the lines until she said that, though. It's almost like afterwards you can sort of justify it. But I feel like no one was making that jump based off of the text because there's so little there. Yeah, there's like barely a couple of paragraphs about their whole relationship, right? And it's all in book seven. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. So, you know, I would say that's like a bit of in the gray zone. But the one that really gets me is, of course, I don't know if you guys know this one about where she said that before muggle plumbing technology came to the wizarding world, they just crap on the floor and magic it away. What? (laughs) That's a thing that she thought in her mind and then wrote down? (laughs) They just sort of like took a stop wherever they were, squatted down, and then cleaned it up afterward? 
That's yes. the kind of idea that you have while sitting on the toilet. You chuckle and go, that's not leaving my head. <laughs> staying, it's straying right up there in the brain box. I'm just yeah. imagining a professor doing that in the middle of a lecture. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, in Hogwarts, right? It just, it just, excuse yeah. me, children, just weren't. And then here I go. It's, uh -huh. poof, professor it's McGonagall drops a D right there. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess it makes That's an image I did not need. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why couldn't they, I, I don't know why they couldn't just point at their, like, Buttles. large intestine, <laughs> right? And just make it disappear before it leaves their body. You know, like, all I'm saying is, made their this is not a pertinent part to, like, even bother thinking about in the book, right? Like, it's not important. Could you, like, in, could you enchain figure your out. underwear to, like, just eat your shit? <laughs> they probably would. I mean, they have that fucking sentient book that could, like, eat your hand off. Yeah. So why can't you have, like, underpants that, like, Magic lick your balls diapers. and eat your shit? Guys, this is supposed to be a highbrow discussion of art. Is that <laughs> what yeah, I mean? Sorry, 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 sorry. We're getting back on track here. Magicking shit out of our pants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the TLDR is that apparently J.K. Rowling has mm -hmm. lost her mind and is insane and sucks. Maybe, Wait, are there but... more instances of her making up stupid shit on Twitter? Well, not on Twitter. Okay, so I mean, if we want to, if we want to go down this rabbit hole a little more before I get to <laughs> a bit more of the thesis of this discussion, the most recent Magical Beasts movie. Do you guys know anything about this? I Did didn't watch it? the second one. I watched the first one. I was like, this is dog shit. Never again. Oh, there's some things I really liked about the first one. But I thought the first one was charming. I really like Newt Scamander. He's actually yeah, a Scamander really cool character. Good. He's a very unusual protagonist, which is a really interesting thing to see. But anyways, in movie two, it is revealed Nagini is actually oh, this. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. a wizard who is permanently <laughs> kind of transformed into a snake. <laughs> yes. Which makes and Harry a fucking murderer. Neville. Neville <laughs> killed Nagini, but yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, Neville chopped his head off with a sword, dude. What the fuck? Wait, yeah. what's the... Oh, I was thinking of the basilisk. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, well, that, it's just one of those things. Thing. It's like, did, did we need to... And, and like her name was Nagini. So like yeah. like as a human. And and so... Did she had no Voldem last name. Yeah. And did Voldemort know this? Did, what, did she become a snake and then just hang out with wizards that knew her and that they introduced each other to other wizards? And it's like, yeah, this is Nagini. And then eventually... Voldemort gets a hold of this snake human. It's it, it just creates so, so many pointless. Yeah. It's just incredibly questions. dumb. It's just dumb. It's, yeah. it's like really bad fan service, but like bad, you know, like fan fiction level fan service. Well, that's what right. all of this is, is like <laughs> shitty fan fiction, but written by the author. Yeah. So, right. wait, so I, I, didn't, some... I need to know more yeah. about this stupid Nagini crap. I didn't see the movie, so <laughs> listen. I, it's this a is, woman I, with I a disease. In, I need to get in the weeds. And she turns for a into second. a snake. That's <laughs> it. Her disease turns her into a snake eventually. <laughs> Who turns in the her... movie? She's a, she's still a human being. She's got some crazy elaborate disease or a curse or something. Wait, and like so... eventually she'll turn into a snake, and that's her whole deal. She has no lines of dialogue. What? Maybe she has like three. I don't know. I, yeah, she's in the movie. She's named Nagini. She works in the circus. <laughs> yeah, and she's also like a person of color, so that's like not a great look. Yeah, um, there's like, a lot of questionable choices. All right, so so getting back to like, what is it? Is it is it, what made Harry Potter magical and wonderful to our child brains? Wasn't that a genius, super genius author had all the answers and was like doling them out to us piece by piece? Now there were some really genius things, of course, that J.K. Rowling did and had planned far ahead of time, but so much of the whimsy. And and the mystery of the Harry Potter universe was the fact that like you know not magic wasn't like explained overly you know overly much in terms of where it came from or how it worked, 
many of the many of the magical creatures and everything you know allowed you to fill in the blanks as a reader as an audience member in in, in certain ways that that made us more engaged with it it activated our imaginations and and these continual sort of fill-ins are not serving to to continue to activate our imaginations is actually kind of deadening our imagination about this world right it's it, the fact that she's inserting yeah. more modern i guess po- like progressive politics into it retroactively right like that, that's making it feel more like an artificial world at least to me that is now kind of at the whims of the real world and and there's like not a disconnect between them in the sense that it, it makes it more clear to my brain that this is a work of fiction not like a an interesting new mysterious universe to explore so it's like she's taken her ip hostage and is threatening to inject more crap into it yeah i guess so 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 this this, this is that that relationship between the audience and the, and the art the author and and at some point i think that the work should just belong to the audience and i, I guess it could still belong <laughs> to the author but like so you're, you're you talking know, about like the Star Wars route because that that turned <laughs> out super well. <laughs> Not the best. Well, isn't isn't well, the Star also, Wars route the same you know, problem? Like uh, George Lucas. Both, both yeah, it's like somehow Star Wars did both. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah, what's well, the problem I mean, with it belonging to the audience? You mean in the sense that that the movies were absolute shit? Mm, well, okay. I think that's more like having a shitty corporation that's trying to please everybody at the head of the ship. Yeah. And also, like, with Lucas, like, clearly he fired everybody that, like, challenged him creatively. Yeah. So he just went batshit insane, and he's kind of shitty. So, mm-hmm. you know. It is kind so, of nice that... I the, like Star yeah. Wars, but oh, boy, oh, boy. Yeah, it's, it's nice like... that the prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy both suffered from entirely, or, like, very different problems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really did. <laughs> one, had, uh, one had vision that was bad, and one had no vision. Yeah. That was bad. Like... <laughs> I would take the... Uh, of the two, where like Lucas fucked it up, but he had a vision, versus the like I don't know Disney whatever happened there, I would take the Lucas version because I I would much rather like have three movies that at least had like some coherent vision and like they knew where they were going with it. Like it, it was bad, but I would much rather that the person know what where they're going. It's where, true. Whereas, like, I think the thing that drives me absolutely nuts is when, like, you start. <laughs> it's it's funny. The thing that drives me nuts is uh, essentially J.J. Abrams <laughs> when he, you make something and you start and it's like real cool, but you have no idea where you're going. And then instead of like having taking like the the viewer and being like, I'm going to lead you on this journey because I know where we're going what he does is like we're going on this journey together i'm building this plane as we're flying and it sucks which is what lost was and then that turned um, out to be what happened with the star wars trilogy yeah force Awakens. i'm pretty sure abrams did not write force awakens he directed Uh, it he He definitely directed it oh i see i see well i i know he was definitely like probably one of the creative leads on it so i don't know what all they're saying is that like you know Last or whatever the whatever the fuck First Awakens is like much more coherent and like an actual decent movie. Yes, I like Force Awakens. And like the last one, obviously, there's a lot going on, and he probably did the best he could with dog shit. But he also sucks at writing, so you know. Well, what he did was like he was like, uh, ignore everything that happened in the last movie. I'm gonna write two movies in one instead of just being like, okay, I didn't like what happened in the last movie, but I'm going to make the best of it, and we're gonna like land this plane. Like, don't yeah. just... Oh, I'm like, not going to defend... <laughs> I don't... But, but, you know. Yeah. I, mean, I would imagine that a lot of that is Disney trying to be like... 
Yeah, people oh, didn't like the movie. Hated this one, huh? All right. I actually like the second one. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot of problems with it, but at least it's interesting. Yeah. And I don't they, know. We're getting way too off topic here. Sorry. I don't know. Are actually, we? Yeah. Like Stranger well, Abrams thing is like really relevant yeah. to what the topic is because like he is guilty of just over explaining shit and like not yeah. leaving anything up to the imagination. Well, I think the point, the problem with the Abrams tactic is that he clearly doesn't know what the fuck it's going to end up as. They're just throwing ideas out and they're like, we'll fix it later. Like there's no plan. You know? Yeah, like maybe you just need to leave some imagination things to the viewer, but still have a plan for other things or something like that. Well, he like yeah. comes up with like, this is really cool. Like, you like this, right? And like everyone's like, yeah, that's dope. But he didn't think far enough to be like, why is that cool? And like where this ends? I feel like series like Lost, for example, what made them interesting is because there was so much sort of mystery and sort of like, you know, unexplained things happening in the first season. But I feel like as we're all sort of kind of saying, he didn't really have answers to the questions he rose, you know, he, you know, made, he put to us. And instead, basically, it's just like, hey, cool, mysterious island. There's a polar bear. Why is there a polar bear there? Uh, man. No one knows, including me. Yeah, I feel like basically you need to both basically engage the audience's imagination by putting interesting questions to them. But if at the end of the day, you don't have satisfying answers for them later on down the lines, everything. Like the work ends up being really hollow. The, I feel like the the audience interpretation and the authorial intent are okay to be separated, but you can't have like a coherent work without like an overarching plan for the whole thing, right? Like just shooting from the hip episode by episode with garbage lost is not a practical or good way to tell a story, whether or not the individual episodes are interesting just by random happenstance, you know? Yeah. I think I think it's completely fine to like make a piece of art and even like stray from your initial plan or whatever and it becomes its own thing as you're making it and even have to have people interpret it in a completely different way is maybe even better but you can't like make a coherent piece of media without intent you know yeah some think, kind of intent I think the like death of the author stuff though is like when something ends ambiguously and then, like, an author later on is like, oh, yo, this is what this was. And you're like, no, fuck, just let us debate it. Don't tell us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like that's the, end of... the worst kind of author. Just don't, don't say it. Shut up. The, en the end don't... of Inception. It's like, is it, if you were, uh, if there was, like, the director's cut where we knew how the top ended the movie, <laughs> right. that would be terrible. It, the, I think Inception would be a lot worse if we had a, a quote-unquote, canon version of that ending. The fact yeah. that it's left up to the imagination of, how, of whether or not he's in the dream in the end and whether it matters. I guess that's the point. Maybe part of it is a mystery sometimes is more valuable. It's just more valuable as a mystery and left as such. And you have to identify when, when that's true and, and keep that keep the integrity of that mystery. Letting the audience decide the ending rather than being like, well, okay, it would be, <laughs> it's terrible when it's like, it's a, it's a complete and finished work. And then like you get to the end and then you kind of decide, like, you fill in what the ending is to you personally. And then, like, that work becomes, like, very personal. And you yeah. have, like, a bond to it. But then you open up Twitter and the author is like, yo, I know you just read this book, but the ending was, he was dead all along. And you're like, ah, fuck, no. <laughs> you just took <laughs> that like, away from me. Uh, I mean, part, part of Death of the Author is that, like, 
if you if you believe in it strong enough, whatever that author says shouldn't matter. You know, the work the work stands alone, despite what the author retroactively decides later on, <laughs> and whatever meaning it had yeah. belongs to you still. I mean, I think sense. that's true to an extent. I think like an author has the power to like taint their legacy in a way, kind of like J.K. Rowling is card. doing in a sense. Like for like, I think you can you can isolate her like books and you can like read them but like she's kind of gotten more toxic as time has gone on and i feel like there's not a great way to like separate those two where you're like separating like how toxic is this author from their work and so like you know later on like if she starts getting crazier and crazier like i like i'm gonna be uncomfortable like offering the harry potter books up to like my son and be like hey read this even though the author is turning out to be extremely problematic like yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know. I guess I don't agree. You know, I um I love the Ender's Game books. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. Right? And that is uh-huh. a very problematic author, but as yeah. I mean, the text itself doesn't necessarily contain the problematic things. You know, uh the Ender's Game is not an overtly homophobic book in any way, and neither any of the books yeah. that follow. So, especially like my initial reading of of like before I even knew about all of the Orson Scott fuckboy nonsense uh <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Anyway, my initial reading was that Ender was gay, or at least like completely like asexual. You know, that's kind yeah. of an interesting interpret. That, that's the way I interpret it, though. He's always describing people's lips, like boys' beautiful lips. You're like, huh? All right. <laughs> yeah, you can separate. I don't know. I, I I feel very strongly about people. People are not good or bad in entirety, but they can do good or bad things, and that that extends to their creations. They can create a good thing even if they have other elements of themselves that are bad or problematic or or what you know whatever you want to call that and i, I don't know I, I i think that lesson can be taken forward to not necessarily just tainting a work based on the behavior of its author but also just knowing that the work and what it means to you belongs to you and i i think that's a really um powerful and important thing to to do there's an intrinsic connection between an author and their work like i like i totally get what you mean like like if you just take the work and let it stand on alone on its own but i feel like <laughs> that's like like the the creative work existing in a vacuum and i feel like nothing actually exists in a vacuum a really good example of how you kind of sometimes can't separate the author from their work is lovecraft like oh, yeah, talked about true. <laughs> we've talked about lovecraft a bit before and just to recap i forgot how much we're talking about this but like he was super duper extremely racist yeah. <laughs> and like that really deeply informs his work actually because all of his work is about fear of the unknown like he was probably super afraid of black people and other <laughs> non-white people and that like came out in his work and that's kind of what his work is about is being afraid of shit you don't understand so it's important to kind of be aware of that and engage with that and not just kind of think like oh it didn't matter that he was racist like it actually really fucking matters a lot but he was super so racist. you think yeah. you think that lovecraft experienced lovecraftian horror when he thought about other races not quite oh, i geez. think he maybe like channeled that fear into something that was a little more <laughs> conceptual and different i mean but... some of it was very over <laughs> oh yeah I, yeah <laughs> Yeah, like there's literally like one of his one of his stories is about how race mixing is bad. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly wow. what I was thinking. I missed that, and I'm so glad I didn't read it. Oh. Yeah, I think I missed that too. Damn. No, I mean the things I've read a fair amount of Lovecraft, and I enjoyed what I read, but all of it happened before I learned about all of his interesting stances on race and whatnot. That's one of the cases where like a lot of people like 
adopt or like adapt his work like naively and i feel like you know it's it's problematic to do that when you you know you're pulling elements from this that you are like oh this is so fantastical and then you like put some critical thinking to it and you're like oh oh no (laughs) (laughs) this is oh this is what he was doing and and so i feel like that's where you get into an area where it's like it's it's really hard to completely separate the two and but I feel like on the other hand, like if you have a second author who's taking a, some sort of concept or idea that another author had and then presenting it in a novel way, and they weren't aware of the sort of like context in which the first person brought it up, if the second person's not using it in a similarly problematic way, do you still have an objection to that? I think if it's like clear that they're pulling from them, like as like an homage or something like that, I think it it, it can be because it's like, oh, this person is just like taking the aesthetics of a racist and it's like, you're not, re- yeah, you're, <laughs> right, exactly. You're just like, e, like you don't yeah. understand what you're doing. Like, yeah, it, it I can, mean, it can, it can tamper with it. And so I think like you need to be aware of it. You need to be smart about how you do it. Like, doing it where you're completely blind is can get you into trouble. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would never, I would never say that you like shouldn't read Lovecraft because he's racist. But I think it's important to not ignore that. <laughs> you know. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like the exact opposite of death of the author then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, I From mean, my it... perspective, it's like, it should matter a lot less, like, who, who the author is. Like, so many concepts and ideas are, are built on, like, an ever-growing pile of other of other stuff in context. So, you know, each each individual author or whatever, creator's contribution is, like, kind of small, you know? Yeah, to the like, chain sure. of standing on the shoulders of giants kind of idea. Yeah. I feel like people tend to deify creators a lot. So to me, the whole death of the author thing should be like separating yourself and having the humility to like understand that, you know, creativity is more of a, a, a channeling, collaging, and, and Dude, I'm so rearranging happy. Uh, aspect. I'm so happy you like are mentioning the deifying the creator thing because i think that's a big part of the problem yeah both from the audience and the author perspective you know if, if an author has created something really powerful they start to i think kind of let it get to their head that they are like the gods of this universe that they created and now any thought that they have about this universe is like canon and true and part of this universe now and i think that a lot of audience accidentally gets caught up in that yeah and and i feel like i feel like if they, yeah, the authors could could just make sure they maintain a bit of humility there and knowing that, you know, knowing that, that the creation that they make, and, and maybe this is related to the mystery of, of certain things that shouldn't be overexplained, but, you know, the creative process is itself mysterious, right? Like the, re- the muses are a concept for a reason because a lot of what you put into your work ends up being kind of subconscious, like a subconscious sort of amalgamation of all of your experiences and all of the creative works that you've consumed. I, I would say that it's true that there are things that you would put in your work that even you are not kind of aware of. And, and it takes humility to recognize that. I don't know. And hopefully that's the case, you know? Like, yeah. I feel like a lot of the best stuff is kind of created that way too, you know? Like poop Definitely. eating pants? Exactly. Poop yeah, we just... pants. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> hey, man. Could be great. You don't know. Came out of shooting <laughs> like... the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. So one other sort of counterpoint, or not exactly counterpoint, but point I wanted to bring up just in contrast with J.K. Rowling, I hope I'm remembering all of this correctly, but 
my understanding is that Brandon Sanderson is actually like very receptive towards people basically writing fan fiction in his universe, and I think even sort of allowing him to like publish it to some extent. Um, but I feel like he's sort of like is definitely far more on the spectrum of allowing other people to, you know, do in his world and basically letting the world stand on its own. And I also thought it was an interesting contrast with J.K. Rowling with regards to the magic systems, because like you're talking about how J.K. Rowling basically, you know, never explains magic or anything. And Sanderson always goes into super fucking detail about all of his magic systems, where they come from, how they work, the limits of it, what they can and can't do, like... Uh, Sanderson, um, <laughs> it's funny you bring him up, uh, or it's funny that he is interested in other people like playing in his worlds because having read like most of the Mistborn series, I feel like he is like an engineer in a way where he, what his m main enjoyment seems to derive from creating worlds and then creating magic systems and like, you know, meshing like those two and like creating like interesting worlds and so like i can understand why he'd be like i've created this world it, like i can understand why he would be like someone that would be receptive to that because like i feel like it's almost like his main creation is actually the worlds that other people's stories can inhabit i love yeah, that right? I, I i haven't actually experienced i think you know it's funny i think it's the star wars extended universe is the only kind of version of that that i've ever experienced yeah yeah the pre-Disney extended universe, which was just this awesome, amazing uni like universe <laughs> of, <laughs> of you know different authors uh, writing writing books, all sharing the same characters, all sharing the same canon. You know, they had to collaborate with each other and be like, well, in my book, took place here in the timeline. So, anything that you write after this has to acknowledge that those things happened and these characters now exist. And Han and Leia got married and had twins and then had another kid and things happened. You know. And there's an evil Luke. <laughs> yeah, it's Luke with another U in it. So it's Luke. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not joking. I don't remember that. Luke. 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 And so this is this is like me. Oh God. Somewhat oh related to the, the Dune. <laughs> What's the Dune about to series. come out of your mouth? <laughs> the Dune series has like a similar kind of like insanity towards the end. Where like, I don't know if you guys have read the first Dune book, but it's like, you know, obviously held up as one of the greatest pieces of science fiction. And I think that it kind of is. But yeah, like, clearly, clearly this, there's like one solid, amazing book that probably happened by accident. And then the rest of them just are like going more and more into insanity. And it just makes no sense. <laughs> and then his son picked it up and made it like a fanfic garbage. Oh boy. Like there's super worms that swims to the ocean. And like the main character gets resurrected. And like Duncan Idaho is like the super Kwisatz Haderach. And you just said a whole really bunch of fake words. He did, yeah, there's a lot of fake words in Dune. Doesn't the main character's son or grandson take over the entire universe and himself become a giant worm man? It's uh, the son of the main character of the first book. Yeah. <laughs> he's on the cover. He's a big he becomes worm, a giant man. worm and lives for 10,000 years or something. So wait, what uh, are, you, are you saying this is a good thing? What's... No. no, it's bad. It's bad. The first two book is great. Just read only the one of them. So what Maybe you're, the first three. So what you're saying is the author should have died after the first book. <laughs> I think he just should have put it, put the book down and made something else. <laughs> yeah. I did start another career. Move on. No, but yeah. actually, it's a good. Yeah. That's a, maybe that's a good thing to kind of point out. Is like, let's say that there's a, a really great work, that, uh, and there's an example that we can talk about, uh, and it stands on its own as this perfect piece of art. And then a sequel comes out and like retroactively ruins a bunch of stuff from the first one. That happens all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. Lots. The Matrix is a great example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I personally, my headcanon is simply that the Matrix ended after movie one. 
that's kind of yeah, how I treat it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good head I don't feel like it retroactively benefit. ruined it. I just feel like it yeah. it disappointed to the point where you're just like, oh, please, please stop. Just I'm going to only watch the first one. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all deciding who's going to segue. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't we take a break? <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I think we've talked about action RPGs kind of a fair amount already, um, but I kind of wanted to revisit it it's just for me personally Wait, can it's... you explain to me what an action rpg is I've never okay. heard of this term this is my favorite <laughs> genre this is new to me <laughs> action action rpg yeah wow what a concept so <clears throat> yeah <laughs> what an rpg is but what's an action game god yeah so i think just again kind of me personally i'll explain it in a bit like it kind of is for a while it was almost like my favorite genre but more in theory than in practice because the one side it's got the kind of cool action elements and it's kind of just fun to hit buttons in it and and hit stuff with a sword or whatever it's just fun to play but then the other side of it is that oh you have these cool rpg elements you get loot or you get levels that you have to have this tangible sense of progress that you're kind of gaining something every time you play it or making some numbers go up which we've kind of talked about it's kind of a lizard brain kind of satisfaction but (laughs) it's like kind of a weird combination sometimes because if they kind of get the balance wrong it can kind of feel weird like where is kind of the line between the action stuff and the rpg stuff so uh, kind of the big question is like how much should or how much does skill actually kind of matter and i'm trying to i'm kind of more thinking about the kind of like twitch gameplay kind of skill of just like being good at the game kind of in the moment and you know not like hack and slash combos that kind of stuff yeah, pretty much. So I think there's kind of like a spectrum of games that kind of do this better or worse. The kind of one kind of crappy example that I was kind of thinking about is like Borderlands. So Borderlands <laughs> is like, it's a pretty fun game. I'm mostly talking about Borderlands 2. I haven't played 3 and I barely played 1. But in 2, it's like, it's, it obviously takes a lot of inspiration from like Diablo, for example. It's very loot based, but kind of the side, but it's also like a first person shooter, right? So you think, oh, it's a first person shooter, so it should be, should be kind of a twitchy action game. And it kind of is, except that sometimes if you try to fight an enemy that's like one or two levels higher than you, it's a total slog. There's some kind of weird scaling that happens where it's just like they're just so they just have so much health it just becomes so boring. So then it's kind of like, oh, the RPG elements are super important. Now like you have to be at the same level as the enemies or you just kind of can't fight them. So the skill kind of goes away, which is weird. So it's like it's so hard. It feels like so hard to get the balance right. And of course, the big elephant in the room that I have to bring up yet again is Dark Souls, which I think kind of gets it right in that it's very skill based. You can beat the game with like level one with like shitty gear, but there's RPG elements where if if you're not that good at it, you can kind of go get some levels and you have a kind of a leg up. Breath of so, the Wild does it better. <laughs> Breath of the Wild isn't really a. I don't know. It's not quite I don't the know same if thing. I, that's I, not I really just, like an RPG. Maybe. I don't know. No, I there's mean, technically, there's like soft RPG elements in there. Super yeah. soft. Yeah. But, I no, mean, just it's the, more of like know, a Legend Heart, of Zelda game. Yeah, Heart like, containers are a very soft RPG kind of thing. I guess it's very much Legend of Zelda game. It's like, are you sure it's not a, more of a stranding game? <laughs> it might be. Fuck. It's the first strand type game. Although I guess that that like weird monkey game came out before Death Stranding, like it's released before it. So Death Stranding is the second strand type game. 
What monkey game? What are you talking about? You know, you know the game you play as a monkey, and you like are going up and through monkey evolution. Like you communicate with other apes, and like you, like you, your character dies, and you survive. You survive by like the children. What the hell? Super Monkey Ball. It's really fucking weird. Is this weird. made by Kojima? No, no, it's insane though. It's great. You should look it up. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of this, but wait, what does that have to do with? Strand? Why is that a strand game? It's, it's just... Don't worry about it. This is a whole other conversation. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? <laughs> this, this, I'm a Kojima to say boy, I should say today. for the record, but, you know, whatever. What does this have to do with Kojima? Yeah, it's a strand type game, dog. Y'all just stand. He didn't have anything to do with that game, You'll did he? You'll understand when you're older. <laughs> anyway, skill uh, and RPGs. My brain just flipped inside out. Skill, RPGs. Wait, so Ford, what do you think about Destiny? Uh, I enjoyed Destiny, but it seems like it kind of has the same sort of problem where it's like so super based on loot. And it's like, that's kind of fine. But I think just for me, it gets kind of frustrating when the game kind of has this veneer of like, yeah, skill matters. You can do really well if you're really good at the game. And, and sometimes it's just not true. I don't know. You pl- you probably played Destiny more than me. I only played the first game for like, yeah. You know, I mean, my, my experience with Destiny 1 was like, I played up until I got to like the, I got to like max character level. And then it was just like the loot grind after that. And I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to do it anymore. Ooh. You haven't played any since like the first game, like the original game? Yeah, I played it like I played it like a fair amount, like in like 2014 when it came out, and then I was done. Oh my god! Wow, the game <laughs> is so wildly different from what that game was. They actually they did do a really good job of writing that line, Andrew. Uh, the, but it's, I, it's very good. I I think there is a point there that is valid in that. Yes, you can be like super good at it, but there's literally like a wall that you will hit at some point where it's just like you can be so good, but this guy's just gonna like like three sixty no scope you dead in just like one like grazing shot. And or and you can't you literally can't even hurt some enemies if they're high enough level. Right. I mean it's the sort of thing that's like super expected in a game like World of Warcraft, but you take that into a first person perspective and then all of a sudden it's sort of a foreign experience. That's true. I mean if you treat if you're approaching it from the mental gaze of an MMO that's got a, a little bit more going on in the action category. You know, they're really slick with their gameplay mechanics. It's it's a lot of fun. Specifically with the PvE content. PvP is its own nightmare, but I think a lot of the, the raids and, and boss content in that game are, are super great. Well designed and really challenging. In, in yeah, I, actually, I wanted to bring up that part. Like, did, for the raids, did you think that skill now we're kind of differentiating different kinds of skill. Was that, did you have to be like really good at like Twitch, like shooting gameplay, or was it more of like a team coordination and preparation kind of thing? Oh, both. Pretty both. Yeah. If, if you're talking about the, the high end end game rating, it's not going to be as quote unquote skill coordination as something like World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy 14, but you need a lot of coordination. You need a lot of teamwork. If you're doing the on level stuff, the, the item level matters a lot. The, the gear, I guess you could call it gear score. I forget what they call it in Destiny. Light, Light. level. Uh, well, it's uh, power now. Okay, power. Uh, but but skill does matter quite a bit. There's a lot of you need to hit you need to hit your headshots because you have a narrow window and the boss is vulnerable. All oh, you got to do the mechanics. You got to hit the jumps right. You also have to know like when to use your supers and your skills appropriately. Yeah. yeah. Because there's a lot of coordination on that too. It's like yeah. Okay, I got to save my your... super. This guy's got to go next. This guy's got to go next. You know. Yeah. Team composition, sounds... what kind of uh, classes you're bringing in. There's a lot of... That all yeah, sounds really the... fun and, and 
like skill based. Yeah. Um, the the high end stuff is definitely more skill than RPG based because at that point you've pretty much mostly maxed out your stuff and any changes to your like level are not really they're going to make only minor differences in terms of how quickly you kill something like it'll be like a fraction of a second or something so you're really at that point playing for the fun of it rather than like chasing a grind kind of thing the grind is where I, my brain keeps going and like i think it's the relationship between grinding to get more powerful and being more powerful by being more skilled there's like this huge tension in all of these genres yeah um I actually think that Monster Hunter is a really good example of a game that um, it does both skill and grinding. And the great thing about the grind is that it, um, it like Monster Hunter is admittedly a very grindy series. <laughs> uh, you know, you have to fight the same monster over and over again, but and, and usually you're using the same weapon because you need to get. But the, the thing about it is that it's training you to be really good at the game, all of its you know combos and understanding how a monster behaves and all of its attack kind of tells and you are both gaining in skill by doing this grind and also upgrading your equipment in a mechanical way you know like like the equipment ends up being objectively better for different situations and i guess i guess that i feel like a, a balance is a thing that needs to be struck but also you know just being really aware of why you're putting a grind in your game because like i'm personally not a fan of the just like grind experience to make the numbers go up to make your stats more powerful or your level go up and now suddenly you can fight the enemy i maybe i've just I done think, it so many times i just i'm not interested in that process anymore i think there's a a place for that yeah. <laughs> like, <Nah>. not for <laughs> me I, well the only reason i say that is because like there is there is a a certain amount of like enjoyment that can be found in like a mindless grind i play a lot of diablo 3 on the switch because there's just like some time where I'm like, I have 45 minutes before Lincoln wakes up and I don't like that's not enough time for me to like sit down and get like much work done. Like if I sit down by the time I get to work, like I'm going to have like 20 minutes to get anything done and then he's going to wake up and it's going to completely fuck up anything. Mm -hmm. So it's fun to just be like, I'm going to chill out, lay on the couch and I'm just going to like mow down some enemies make some numbers go up, pick up some trash loot or whatever, like, you know it's just like it's i don't know how to describe it it's fun like <laughs> there's definitely a place for games like that yeah i mean like you're not going to sit down for 45 minutes and try a couple of runs at a boss in dark souls no yeah exactly it's insane <laughs> but <laughs> you know there's a time and a place for it i don't you know there's plenty of times when i don't want to sit down and have the pressure and stress of a game like that or like running a raid yeah exactly. <laughs> you're like oh i i have eight hours free <laughs> yeah let's do that um, I mean, coming from a relatively heavy rating MMO background for the last few years, you know, there's a time and a place and there's a reason why you schedule a couple of days a week for only a few hours and then you're done, you know? <laughs> uh, I do feel like it's interesting that in a lot of these games where you're sort of grinding to level up to increase your numbers to fight other enemies with higher numbers as well. Like, more and more I'm seeing, like, these games introduce these systems where it's like, we're dynamically scaling the enemy's level to match yours as well. Bad. And, like, part of me is like, you're just undoing the entire system that you built and calling it progression in gameplay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Oblivion. Yeah. That's, that's the stuff that annoys me, too, about this kind of, yeah, like you said, a lot of these games kind of have that scaling thing. I think also part of it comes down to, I kind of like in games the idea of kind of exploration or kind of going off the, the beaten path. 
like and if everything is just kind of equally hard that kind of becomes sort of meaningless like it's nice we kind of talked about this with breath of the wild it's kind of nice to go in an area and just completely get your ass kicked so it's like oh that's a kind of cool challenge and i shouldn't be here then it's kind of like there's more variety in the world and there's kind of more possibility that like oh if you were good enough maybe you could explore this this cool unknown thing and it kind of creates this kind of mystique around like oh it's this weird area is kind of must be like a late game area i and now i'm excited to look at it again whereas yeah. if everything is scaled it just kind of everything is just kind of the same boring slog and there's no variety or interest well, it's like metroid and dark souls and a lot of a lot of good game design is showing you something you're not ready for in a controlled way so you'll you'll put a bookmark in it and you'll come back to it later yeah i think the most important reward to put in your game is the ability to play more of your game you yeah. know what i mean <laughs> like that's like like that's how you should be kind of couching anything that you do you know like this item will unlock new you know combos for you to do or this beating this boss unlocks a new area for you to explore like all of those things are the best reward you could possibly give your player so much more meaningful i think than making numbers go up i think it's just like a misuse of 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 like i guess the rpg design right like what's what purpose does it serve <laughs> in in uh it's a great um, question I guess in like something like Borderlands, right? You mentioned Borderlands. Like it's really neat to like experiment with all the different guns and try out all the weird ones, but you're just going to pick the shotgun that has the highest damage, you know. The weird <laughs> ones are usually like too stupid or whatever. Like what if you strip away the RPG leveling elements from that and it's just about experimenting with all these different cool things. There's a lot more effort that has to go into that design cuz you have to think about all these different things. Maybe it's not necessarily a linear levering system where you have like abilities or whatever, but you know. I feel like it's just too much, too much of an easy decision to just put a, you know, a level, put a level and a talent tree in there or whatever, and make the enemy health bar go up by, uh, you know, a hundred. It's it's kind of silly. It, I think it's interesting you say that because Destiny kind of did that for a while, where they like, you know, they kind of went, they started like adding more and more like RPG stuff, and then they kind of turned back and went, no, what if we like tone all of that down? And make it more like, you know, things are more like what you were saying, you know, strip away a lot of the RPG elements and just make it like core things that are enjoyable. And a lot of people actually didn't like that. Like, it, I would say like that was like one of the least fun eras of the game. And they've since then actually been leaning more and more and more into their RPG element stuff, like breaking things down, like giving things more stats and stuff like that. And it's actually been like more fun so i think that the key distinction in that case is that it's not that they're like taking away player agency is is a lot of what they did before the more modern stuff is giving you a lot more customization options like with with all of the the cool custom exotics and and new stats on gear and stuff there's a lot more build variation in destiny there's a lot of like different cool things that you can do like oh i want to have a super low grenade cooldown so I can throw grenades and then I can have a, a synergy with, with the, my other abilities where throwing grenades uh, reduces my cooldown on my other super thing. So, like, them being smart about in, incorporating stats and RPG elements is, is really good in that case. But that's a lot less about, like, I'm killing 10 mobs and my strength goes up, you know? There's, there's a pretty big distinction between that kind of thing and, and, and what Destiny, the route that they took. Like in Borderlands, you shoot ten monsters and you level up, and your character is now level twenty-two, and now you do, you know, you can actually do damage to the troll or whatever the fuck they are in that game. You know, <laughs> there's there's a, there's a distinction between that, in my opinion. 
It sounds it sounds more semantic than it is, I guess. So it, it veers <laughs> into the game game feel territory, you know. Well, you're kind of getting to the like uh, kind of addicting properties of like loot stuff that we kind of have talked a little bit about before. Where if you're just kind of leveling up, that's kind of a boring thing. But if you have inconsistent rewards, that's more addicting, right? Because you don't you could get something really good really soon, or you could get a bunch of shit for a long time, or you could get a really cool gun. You know, so I think it's I like think gambling. Skin yeah, box. exactly. Skinnerbox, having having just played. Wait, uh, what is a skin something box? like? Uh, it, yeah, it originates from like a psychologist. His name was something Skinner. I'll just call him yeah, Pete. Me. Pete Skinner, um, and he put rats in a box, and in the box was a button, and if the rat pressed the button, it would give a treat. But he did different like rule sets for the button and the treat, and the rats would if there's like just like a one-to-one relationship of like press the button get the treat the rats just sort of push the button once in a while and got a treat and that was it if it was an inconsistent reward though the rats were way more engaged with that button yeah like if hmm. if if, uh, if the button only gave the treat sometimes it changed the way that they interacted with it like crazy so yeah. the rats in a box with jeff skinner or whatever we called him <laughs> that's a skinner box pete, and pete skinner pete skinner thank you, you know pete <laughs> Uh, and so unfortunately a lot of game mechanics basically model that like to take advantage of that weird little psychological thing that we've got where we feel way more rewarded for when you do something and you get the reward an inconsistent amount of the time versus none of the time or 100% of the time yeah I I think uh, gotcha games on your phone or Diablo loot or yeah that seems like a stupid brain hiccup that like so much of our like video gaming stuff is designed around like this one little stupid thing oh yeah it's it's one alien an alien race that doesn't have this weird thing is going to show up and be like your games are terrible (laughs) (laughs) i mean Um, you know there's a lot of stuff based on that but yeah and this is why the phone games are this garbage wasteland for the most part um taking advantage of all of those little psychological bugs we've got like shamelessly yeah, it turns out that our sort of human psychology is better adapted for subsistence foraging existence as opposed to playing games on phones. If I like knock on the acorn three times and sometimes get an avalanche of acorns, I, I'm going to knock on all the acorns now. Hopefully I get Damn. an avalanche again. <laughs> I don't know why I'm eating acorns. That's a terrible thing yeah. to forage. Just don't do that. <laughs> So I think I think um, my my kind of summation of this is that it, it, it's much better to design in one way or the other. Um, kind of riding the middle is like a, a territory for like disastrous shittiness, just unfun garbage. Leaning more towards the skill section is gonna be much more engaging, but also much more stressful, like a nice sometimes snack. And and leaning more towards the grindy is 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 a special place in my heart for. For those shitty, grindy, get a get a piece of loot games, and and if you're not evil and designing that game in a good way, it'll be really fun. Um, for for certain. That's a lesson. Don't be don't be evil. <laughs> the Google lesson. <laughs> Mike, do you do you want to segue us? Since the world is on fire, <laughs> there's plenty of time to watch dumb content on YouTube. And one of the greatest things to watch on YouTube is Steve1989. He reviews... What is Steve1989, Mike? <laughs> Steve1989. Mike, Mike, what is Steve1989? <laughs> Steve1989. Mike, what is Steve1989? <laughs> Steve1989 at MRE Info. 
he reviews MREs, meals, ready to eat. Wait, Mike. Mike. (laughs) What are MREs, Mike? (laughs) Meals, ready to eat. (laughs) Anyway, so the biggest deal is the dude just sits there and takes apart uh, one of these like prepackaged, like um, shelf-stable, freeze-dried meals, takes apart every single component and talks about them and like injects some weird amount of history about the production of these food items it's not just that it's like it's like some history but like it's like almost personal history because he's like oh they have the uh the new like second run of the ketchup i like this much more than the first one the first one always came out runny so it's like weird history but it's like from his experience of tasting this weird shit like hundreds of them though because like he goes on and on like his favorite thing uh, all these nonsense things have like instant coffee or freeze-dried drinks or whatever drink bases and like he has very strong opinions about which ones are really good (laughs) so he's like coffee instant type two that's the best shit you could get like he goes on and on about he fucking loves it right and and he does love it but then when you see it it looks like dog shit (laughs) you're like my dude what is going on inside your mouth yeah like one of the holy grails of these things is apparently like mre pizza and it's like it's so horrible like they have this weird chemically treated quote unquote cheese on top of the pizza that even when you oh. heat it up, like it doesn't melt. It just like chemically can't melt. Yeah, it's like special <laughs> special mozzarella that will never melt. It'll like burn before it melts. It's really weird. I think the thing he said, uh, the thing he liked the most was uh, one of the cookies, like the chocolate covered cookies, mm, yeah. and it looked so bland. <laughs> and he's like, "This is great." You can't, you can't beat this, and I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can beat that many times. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now you said they were historical, like there's some of them. Are. So wait, so is he eating MREs from like decades ago? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, so there's Ooh, there's, there's like what? kind of two parts to it. Some of them are more modern. Some of them are real modern, like they just came out like same year. And some of them are old. Like he opens up a World War One ration and like World War parts what? of it. That's a yeah, hundred like years ago now. Nineteen seventeen, like shit. And the crazy. food still. Ed- you, it's Some not of it just, is. Uh, like a like a I don't know. Like I imagine like a metal box, and you open it, and it's just like a fungus nightmare. Yeah. Well, some of that just... stuff definitely is like horrible. I don't know how he's not dead, but he is at least pretty <laughs> careful about a lot of it. Like remember that scene? In, remember in Cowboy Bebop when they open the fridge in yeah. the Toys in the Attic episode? Like how is it not that? <laughs> so the difference is is that a lot of these components are completely devoid of of any moisture they've been you know completely um desaturated i don't know if sounds delightful yeah you have to rehydrate them a lot of it stuff but some of the more modern stuff is really wild like they have a lot of crazy technology they have this thing that he fucking never describes i had to look it up on the internet called an frh which is what's called a flameless ration heater which is oh. a plastic bag with some like metal components inside of it and like you put Wait, water what? it has metal it. components yeah you put water in it, and there's some sort of exothermic reaction that, like, causes the water to boil. It, like, mixes two chemicals together. So you have this little plastic bag of boiling water that you put your, your like, sealed pouch of food in, and it, like, cooks it for you without a fire. And just, like, all you do is put, like, a couple ounces of water in the bag. That is some future shit. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really wild. Um, but it's been around for a long time, because those are in, like, some of the super yeah. old ones, too. Apparently this technology has existed for a long time. 
Yeah, I've seen like I've seen like styrofoam, like ramen or coffee, even like containers that contain something like this. You add water yeah. and it heats itself up inside the styrofoam container. Or like Very hand warmers kind of deal, you know. This is weirdly reminding me because you said it's like all food science. It's very. Remember when like um, molecular gastronomy was this like haute couture food thing? Do you know? This is this is not molecular. <laughs> but doesn't it have? Like... This is a guy who has garbage taste <laughs> being like this pizza is. It's on par with the best microwavable pizza, and it looks like you look at it. It looks like it's just got shoe leather all over the top, and you're like, dude, I don't even know what God, to do with you. He had like you. one of the best lines. In a video, he called it tactical garbage, uh, ca- tactical, tactical <laughs> gas station food. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, when he describes it, though, like you're, like you're sitting there, like I was working and I had it on. And I was like, dang, I could, I could, I could, I could be down for some of well, that. He's really like, descriptive, I, too. I he's like, that. man, the sauce has yeah. got hints of garlic and oregano and oh, there's little bits of bell pepper in there. Yeah. And you're like, he's just looking at like garbage slop on a plate. It's like, oh my god! Yeah. Like it looks oh. so bad. Oh man, he was talking about the cinnamon bun. He's like, "This is delicious." He's it looks like, horrifying. You, this is on par with the cinnamon. You look at it, and it looks like like a little Debbie's. Like it's super smooth and just like flat, and it just looks so yeah. unappetizing. Like it looks like folded cardboard, and you're just like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "It smells so good." Like you just walked into a cinnamon, and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> This is Does wild. he like role play? Does he like go out and like crawl in the mud for days and days, and then open one of these to like get the authentic experience of sort of being out in the field? Like I couldn't imagine being like a well-fed human being, right? Yeah. Like I can go, I can go get like delicious Thai food delivered to my door right now, and then yeah. like the next meal, try to eat an MRE and try to appreciate it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> my buddy and I, we both ordered metal trays and MREs. So we're, as soon as the pandemic's over, we're gonna, we're gonna. <laughs> Get these items out onto a tray, say nice, and then eat them one by one. Oh, he's got tons of mannerisms, shit, by the way, so... which you catch on to when you watch more of them. It's great. Yeah. One of his favorite things is that he takes all of the items out of the case really carefully. He lines them all up so you can see every single piece of it. And then he says, Let's get this out onto a tray. And then it cuts <laughs> and everything's on the tray. And he says, Nice. And oh, then continues out with the review. Uh, my brother, <laughs> I, out of the blue, he like texts, like, we have a family like text chain. And he texts like a a photo of like a bunch of um like cardboard or not cardboard brown paper bags with MRE <laughs> written on it. So he his daughter had to like he had to go back to work, so he pre made lunches for her all week, and so he just made these and then wrote that on them because he's a weirdo. <laughs> And so I, I text him back. Uh, I just text him a video of like Steve 1989. uh, One of the videos of, I think it was the pizza one. And he, he responded. He goes, whenever Lily like opens it up, she goes, let's get this on. I was like, I lost my fucking mind. (laughs) Oh, like imagine this little child watching these and then like looking at her food and being like, "Let's, let's, let's get this on a show." how YouTube is nice. taking over the children's brains. Yeah. In the weird, like this is the weirdest thing for yeah. a child uh, to yeah. watch. It's a grown man eating. <laughs> now, uh, is he popular? Like, yeah, how much millions of views on all of his videos. Ooh, okay. Now, does and that he's mean also they're... like he's got the right level of like he doesn't do any of the fucking like, comment, and subscribe bullshit on YouTube. He doesn't have this like weird persona. 
he's like weirdly naive and earnest about it. Like he clearly just loves the content. Yeah. It's like the perfect storm of just like ex- extremely engaging. I don't I don't understand it. The production quality is not like super no. high. Like it, it's about like it's it's okay. Like his audio quality is good. But I mean like the video and stuff isn't very good. He he doesn't have like super slick titles and stuff. Like they're they're very like he made them at some point like and was just like here's some cool like footage together and then like I don't know I wouldn't have it any other way like yeah. you you couldn't have some like YouTube bro being like yo I got to say Marie like yeah it's not gonna awful. work at all yeah no way well that's what I mean like it's not like he's like super like oh, I'm gonna make this the best channel ever it's more of like this guy who is like I like this stuff I'm gonna do it and then he just did it and never stopped doing it and people yeah. love it this, the I thing just... is there's so many people out there that do that very same thing but don't have millions of views but yeah the people still make them. I love those people. You gotta watch them. There's hidden gems all over the internet. Now, I wonder, does he have a lot of like copycats? I, I can imagine other people trying to do the exact same thing. There are other people that do it. Um, he, he even mentioned it, and he called them out, and he's like, "This guy's doing real great things." You should oh, they're making him. a community. Yeah, like he, the way he it, like talked about it is like he's interested in what other, like he watches other people doing this, and he, it, it doesn't sound like it's about copycat or anything. It seems like just people doing this. And it's like everyone's going to have a different take on it. And I think yeah. that's it. Like, <laughs> so you can find the reviewer whose tastes are most similar to yours in order to determine <laughs> what your next MRE should be. Yeah, kind of. I, I think that's I don't what know. it I is. I hope so. I, I, I would imagine that there's like some weird fucking Angel Fire forum somewhere that these guys are all talking on. And it, this just warms my heart. <laughs> Do people talk on forums anymore? No, I mean, they just use Facebook or yeah. whatever reddit or something yeah it's the whole thing seems like oddly yeah. wholesome it's so wholesome <laughs> like a yeah. very strange way yeah also he has an amazing collection of t-shirts every every once in a while he'll cut to himself holding the tray eating the food items first of all the dude looks like he spend like 18 hours out of every day at the gym <laughs> like i guess you'd have to if you eat food like that all the time but like but he's not like a huge dude he looks like a like a like average size guy who's just in good shape he's not like yeah. He's not like, like a yeah. meat man. He's not a meat man. No, <laughs> but he's, I don't know, toned, I guess. I don't know. It's wild. It's weird. You'd expect this to be some sort of basement dwelling weirdo. Maybe he, he is. I don't know. He does but, have a ponytail, though. Yeah. In some videos. What? He's really? been doing this for years, man. I don't know. Sometimes he has short hair. Whoa. Yeah. The one I saw, he had like a, a longer ponytail, so. Maybe I just never noticed. I'm... Steve, what's going on? What's going on with the hair, man? Also, I just love his username. It's like the username that one of us would have come up with when we were like 15. It's like, yeah, put my yes. year in the name. <laughs> it's true. 100%. And then That's what how we like, it seems. Like It seems like a guy who like just started doing this when he was like younger and then like continued doing it. And he's like, I guess I'm stuck with this name. Oops. No, but it doesn't seem like he's like, it seems like he's 100% like all about, like not all about, but like, you know, he's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm Steve. It. I was born in 1989. Here we yeah. go. Like Mike said, like there's like a like a honestness or um earnest na- naivete. I don't know. Earnest, yes. Yeah, earnest, earnest is the word. Earnestness. Are there any particular episodes you recommend? I'd recommend the the World War One ration. There's one called yeah, the Stinky wild. Cheese of Death. It's a 1987 ration that he eats a lot of pieces of, and it's really fucking gnarly. And I don't know the pizza <laughs> ones. They're all really good. You can't go wrong. This is bizarre. Like he does international ones too, which I find very interesting. 
A lot of them are military rations, which which is kind of interesting what different countries kind of do for that kind of thing. Like there's an Italian one that like the breakfast is just like a shot of booze and espresso. It, it's like a full <laughs> co- it's like a full like meals, a full days worth of meals. And that's what the breakfast is. It's like crackers, a shot of booze, and espresso. You're yeah, like, that right. That's Italy. <laughs> yeah, tracks for Italy. No, we. Uh, I I traveled to Italy uh, years ago um, with a friend, and we were like hobbits because like we literally tried to do the thing. We tried to do like the Italian, basically like cigarette and espresso breakfast, um, or like you know a, like a single tiny croissant, and then we were literally like, all right, we had one breakfast, yes, but what about second breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when when we went to Italy, did similar. Actually, no, fuck that. I I went goddamn hog wild when I went to Europe. Like when I was in Paris, we went somewhere, and I was just like, we are we. When we go back, I'm stopping at every patisserie, and I'm going to get a croissant at every single one. Lindsay's like, okay, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and so on the way, it was like pouring rain at that point. So I was like, I was so like just like fuck this and so i just stopped and got croissant at every single place and it was magnificent wow i mean i am wondering like what are are there are there like mre items that you would just not expect to be those you like be in an mre i don't know i'm thinking like a like a croquembouche or something crazy i don't know what a croquembouche is uh, it's like a really uh <laughs> it's like just a really elaborate french dessert pastry thing i mean there's a lot of strangely elaborate stuff but it's also like weird i don't know like a lot of it is a lot like gas station food specifically the american stuff it's all like what you'd expect it's like ah some sort of pasta on a meat sauce oh here's a weird hamburger or here's a egg skillet kind of deal the the one that we were watching was was like the was it burritos or tacos or yeah tacos enchiladas i think it was enchiladas yeah yeah oh with a sauce for some reason, man, like, like he he poured it out and like it was like Ugh. beans and chicken and rice and it was just like this goopy mess. But the way he like talked about it and like described mixing like the cheese and the hot sauce onto like a, one of these garbage looking tortillas, I was like sitting there <laughs> and I was like, "Fuck, I should order one I would, of these." I would eat that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have one. I haven't eaten it yet, but I, I, it ex- and we have it. We have a metal tray, and we have a box of four MREs that we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna do lots to draw which MREs we get. It's gonna be great. Oh, you do, you don't know what MRE you get, or do you uh, just have like a box of uh, the way the way we buy it? You buy a bo- a case of like X number, and they just give you what you get. So you don't know what you're gonna get. Um, so I don't want to delve too much into authorial intent here, but I'm yeah. curious if anyone knows what he does for a living because it kind of sounds like he might be know. a salesman. I would I would rather not know. You know, I, <laughs> I hope he's just a a wistful rogue. You know, just trying out he's, these weird MREs and enjoying. Uh, he's an IT guy or something. Yeah. <laughs> probably right. He probably just works in an office somewhere. Part of me hoped that like he had been in the military and while he was there, like he gained like some deep like love of MRE food for some reason. Probably. And so he's like, when I get out, I'm going to do a show where all I talk about is how great these MREs are. <laughs> and then everyone around him is like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? These are trash. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're not though. I don't know. You know, I know that's the thing. Like I was watching and I'm like, I kind of want to try it. Like, <laughs> I w- 
want to know. And then I, I just imagine like eating it and just like spitting it out and be like, God, yeah. fuck you, Steve, you got me. <laughs> well, when when we actually get together and eat these, uh, I'll I'll fill you in on the details. I'm very excited about it. We're going to talk. Oh, you I, I need to take that. Fucking film it. Yeah. yeah. I should film it. Yeah, you, we should film it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I was just gonna have we'll a darky... take the first bite like together and then just immediately spit it out. <laughs> like I'm sure it's gonna be garbage, right? But like maybe one of you will be like, "Damn, Damn. this is good." <laughs> I mean, the, I guess the crazy part of it is like all of the the wild food science that goes into making these things what they call shelf stable, where you can keep it at like basically room or cellar temperature for years and it'll be completely fine. Like, there's a lot of the tech that went into, like, astronaut food, for example. Like, the, yeah. the kind of, like, sealed tortilla stuff. Like, there's a lot of, um, a lot of that stuff actually goes up to the astronauts, you know. Because it'll, it'll stay completely safe for, you know, 18 months and it'll still be fresh. And probably last a lot longer than that without actually going bad, you know. Um, it's pretty wild. I don't know. It's neat. Bizarre. Very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's so... It's so fascinating because it all looks so bad, and yeah. that it's like it's horrible. I, I can't like when you open like the like Vietnam era shit. I was sitting there and I was like, "How is that still good?" <laughs> also, why are you eating that? The pork you, patty, somebody, the fucking pork. Oh, patty. the pork patty! Holy yeah. shit! It was that a dehydrated pork patty. It looked like a fucking sponge that has been under the sink for a decade. <laughs> And he's like, he like breaks off a piece of it while it's still dry. He's like, I gotta try this. He's like, mm, it's so good. I'm gonna eat this whole it. thing. Fucking love it. I looked it. at it. And it was from I 1987. Looked <laughs> I looked at it and I couldn't tell that was food. Yeah. I was like, awful. I don't know what that is. And he was like, I'm excited about this. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> what? So, some of the wild thing too is that like, if you have one of these MREs and you actually like keep it frozen, it'll be good for like, longer than a decade like all everything will pretty much be fine it's really weird zombie like, apocalypse food right there yeah, that's right well like the, you can see that there's probably a cross-section of his of his viewer base that is like all those insane preppers you know, apocalypse people uh that's how i imagine my brother found it yeah probably <laughs> yeah because uh, that's what he was <laughs> i will see oh, god it's, it's hard for me to explain because like it started out like watching it ironically but at this point i just I actually like it you know, it's like the Fast and the Furious movies. You start watching it as a joke, I love bad movies, but there's something endearing about them that you just kind of get hooked by. And it's, at a certain point, you have to admit that you actually really like it. Yeah, I mean, it's like my best friend like in football. It, yeah. This sounds like a bit of a slippery slope, especially with you sort of signed up to eat these MREs. Like yeah. a year yeah. from now, are you going to be starting a YouTube channel in which you review them? <laughs> hey, up, guys? It's Mike 1987. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I'd be worried about really is Mike buying a bunch of these and then like buying like a bomb shelter. <laughs> like it's it like gets him into like the apocalypse readiness. Well, Especially with you know. the way the world is. Like yeah. he's just like, I see where this is going. I now have the knowledge that Steve has given me. I can live forever. Oh, I'm definitely not part of that crew though. I am like hundred percent dependent on like the status quo in the world. Are you kidding me? Like I have groceries delivered because I sold my car. Like <laughs> zero percent self-sufficiency here you know like yeah no way (laughs) mike is no steve 1989 i'm not as glorious or mike is is first on the menu in the apocalypse (laughs) 100 percent. yeah i wouldn't be able to run away from those zombies are kidding me no way 
Mike is Mike is the shot and the espresso. <laughs> Hell yeah. I'm a, I'm a pot of coffee by day, bottle of wine by night. Double that and you got me. All right. Um, do you guys want to do... Hey, check this out. the music um, or maybe you already did i don't know yet. oh it's playing right now you didn't hear it oh crap mm-hmm. oh, brendan do you want to go because i want to hear about this and also oh, yeah. say things but not really because i don't know anything mainly <laughs> okay. just hear it yeah man so um i mean this this is probably going to be a topic in the future um something about this because i just found this very uh, uh, I, I gotta tell you how i experienced this this uh new game that just came out on like steam early access um I was playing with my EVE Online uh, Corp, and um, one of the guys was playing something else, and he was streaming on Discord. You know, you can do that now. So he's like, hey, look at my stream. Just just look at this. I want to see what your impression is, because he knows I, I you know, design games. And uh, he was in this, like, first person. I could tell right away by the interface it was, like, a science fiction sort of game. Looked like he was in, like, a zero-G environment with, like, a tool, like some sort of... And then he started, like, shooting, like, it was, like, a laser-cutting tool, and he was inside of this, like, spaceship environment, and suddenly he kind of had loosened a panel out from the room that he was in and it kind of opened out into space and it just like clicked he is playing a first person ship salvaging game yeah uh it's called uh hard space Shipbreaker, and it was just uh so incredibly cool um it's 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 completely physics based uh you you have like a ship to basically break down into its components and kind of put them in the right place and you get paid for the components that you find um you know so like uh like big big chunks of scrap metal go here and other types of things go here and the more valuable like components like i don't know the med kits or the coolant containers or whatever go here and so it's this awesome crazy combination of um uh like exploration kind of puzzling there's like, you know, hazards and dangers, you know, you can accidentally make stuff blow up or shoot, you know, coolant or plasma at you if you're not careful. So there's, it's not without its own like conflicts. Um, I don't know, it's just, to me, to me, it's such a great example of a game that took like an aesthetic experience that they wanted to create and just created that experience without having to borrow so heavily from all the other genres that are out there, really. Um, I, yeah, I have a feeling that- so cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a feeling we'll, we'll be talking about it more. Um, <laughs> it sounds really interesting, but I'm super sort of like skittish about early access games nowadays. This one, I mean, it's really polished for early access, I'd say. I think the only thing it lacks is like ton. It probably needs a lot more ships for you to explore. But each ship type you can explore comes randomized in its own ways. So it's not just like the same thing over and over. Great. That's so, yeah, cool. The hard, hard space ship breaker. Well, in a related uh, matter, I'd like to recommend uh, an astronaut autobiography. Uh, the book is called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. It's by Chris Hadfield. He's a Canadian astronaut. Oh, yeah. It's a really good book. Uh, really interesting. He's very well spoken. If you get the audiobook, he narrates it himself, which I thought was really nice. 
He's the uh, guy who played uh, the David Bowie song in space, right? Yes. Uh, he's also done a lot of like cool YouTube content of just like yeah. showing a whole bunch of neat shit in space. He's got a great little episode about just making a space tortilla. He just makes a peanut butter and jelly tortilla in space. And you're like, that's neat. Ugh. I want to watch it. I know, it's just cool. Uh, his, his autobiography is really interesting. Uh, there's actually a related one, Endurance, A Year in Space. It's by astronaut Scott Kelly, who spent a year in space. Um, it's really not well written, but it's a, it's a really interesting book because it's the polar opposite of, uh, of the Scott Kelly, or, uh, uh, of Chris Hadfield's book. Um, they're Scott both great. Kelly's the guy who did a bunch of Kerbal uh, Space Program stuff, isn't he? Uh, maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, he might have. Uh, I'm I'm not familiar. Did that happen like kind of recently, or it was years back? I think. Uh, that's something I wanted to get into too. Uh, I haven't I haven't messed around with the Kerbal Space Program yet, but I'm very intrigued by the idea of it. Uh, Trevor, what have you got for us? <laughs> I have the most exciting of all topics. Uh, I'm, I'm on a riveted. Yes, on a random lark, I bought some Kirkland brand Costco organic orange juice, and it was oh, shit! delicious. I Kirkland's know. best. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Dude, Kirkland's stuff is real good. And I'm not getting paid good. for this either. Yeah, Kirkland's Kirkland's great. I don't. Yeah. I don't shop at Costco anymore because it's far away. But I I, I used to fuck with some Kirkland's. Uh, I like their salsa liquor. <laughs> liquor. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, like I I liked it better than most of the other orange juices like brands than, like, I've had. Tropicana recently. or simply yeah. orange. Yeah. Wow. Which surprised me. But on the other hand, I also haven't had any like orange juice in like like six months or something so like maybe it's just like and you needed to like stock (laughs) up (laughs) basically yeah yeah the new world order i need to have some vitamin c in my refrigerator don't have any mres on his lonely (laughs) ship voyage of his apartment (laughs) and sometimes i actually do feel like sometimes i'm like feeling like crap and i have oj and it makes me feel like a million times better and sometimes i wonder (laughs) if i really am (laughs) they should be paying us for this shit you need vitamins Sometimes I feel like I have scurvy. Yeah. <laughs> Could just be the sugar. Sugar's good shit, man. Cool. Great. So, yeah. I'm glad That's to it. hear that your scurvy's gone. <laughs> Never been better. Ford, Great. what do you have for us this week? Uh, I was going to recommend something that maybe people listening have already seen a million times, but on the what got me thinking about like authorial intent and meaning is uh, the show Twin Peaks. Uh, it's uh, oh, super... Shit weird and super funny and super dark but also super light at times also season three is the most like insane shit i've ever seen the ending made me feel like no other piece of art has ever made me feel it's Whoa. so it's this indescribable it's so good i've never Just seen it. It. that definitely get put that on the list I, uh, is season I... three like the modern thing yep yeah so it was the show started in the early 90s uh it got canceled and then there was a movie and then uh they finally made season three and 2017 i think yeah, Shit. yeah season, something like that season three is is out of control weird and great all right uh mine this week is um music in general just check it out i don't oh. know if you've heard of this thing <laughs> i can vouch tell me more it's also very what is this music it gets in your bones it makes you jingle them <laughs> uh no i i was like jingle in a bones. mood i was in a mood for like uh, I was listening to a Legend of Zelda like symphony soundtrack, and I was like, "Dang, this is dope!" And then I just randomly was like, "Yo, did they do this for Mega Man?" And it turns Mega, out, Mega not Man. really. Yeah, Mega Man, like Mega Man, music. symphonic Mega Man. Yeah, 
And so uh, I looked it up and I couldn't find any albums or anything. Um, but then I found online on YouTube, um, there's a couple of like suites of music where they bundle up a bunch of music and kind of like blend them all together, like into one long thing. To and chill and of... relax and study too? Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of uh, places of like different arrangements and stuff. And I didn't really like them. And then I found this one. It's, it's Mega Man dash suite. And then in parentheses, it says live with the Swedish radio symphony, symphony orchestra score orchestral game music. And it, fucking slaps it is great it is only like eight minutes long but like when i listen to it like i i can't really like pull out too much Mega Man music like straight from like my head like melodies or anything kind of like you can with legend of zelda but when you hear it like i'm just like oh shit this this is what Mega Man like music is and it's fucking it's so good and it's only eight minutes long and i would recommend listening to it it's it's only on youtube and there's only like one video of it but check it out all right, I am at a Mindler on Twitter. Where can people find you guys? Uh, you can find me, Brendan Trombley, at on Twitter uh, at the Brendo. You can find me, Trevor Williams, at Heckbringer at Twitter. And you can find me at uh, Radhesian on Twitter, also SoundCloud.com/slash Adhesion and Adhesion.Bandcamp.com. And you can talk to us at Team Radmars on Twitter radmars.com fantastic well I think that's the end of the episode thank you for listening and thank you guys for being here oh yeah my pleasure Brendan, (laughs) I want to hear about this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Not like right now, but when you talk about it, like I feel like I want you to talk about it because I, I, well, uh, yeah, just. Oh, isn't this like the. uh, um, Shut up. I know. Okay. I'm pretty sure I know what that is. Yeah, I think so, too. But it's a good topic. I got a text message from my brother yesterday about it. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this game will end up being a topic, but I can also just hey, check this out in the meantime. Sure. Check this out. Let's go, OJ. Oh yeah. (laughs) Bam. You trying to one up my spa water? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck! I forgot about that. (laughs) So good. I believe we refer to that as taking inspiration from previous episodes. Yes. No. It's true. It's true. Roushi, did you try the spa water yet? (laughs) Not yet. I'm just drinking regular (sighs) lime water today. I don't have any of the fancy. Uh, spa water additives. Fancy, like like a slice of lemon and cucumber. Yeah, I don't. I just have the lime. Sorry, mm. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Disappointed. <laughs>